Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer and episode 277 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start the show today with a quote from P.T. Barnum. Without promotion, something terrible happens. Nothing. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hey there, how's it going? I'm very well and I'm super excited to share today's show with you. Today we are talking about self-promotion and I'm hoping that it's going to give you a few light bulb moments. You see, we've been conditioned since childhood to keep quiet about our achievements. We're taught things like, nobody likes a show off, stay humble and self-praise is no praise. And the majority of us conform, stay quiet, assuming that our good work will be noticed and we'll get our reward in good time. And when we see those people who are shameless self-promoters, we judge them and tut and assume that they'll be smited by the God of humility while secretly wishing people knew about the great things we had done. But then we noticed They're not being called out or shamed for being a show-off. In fact, they're getting more attention. And they are the ones getting rewarded with promotions or new clients. And then we get frustrated, bitter and envious, which affects the way we're being and communicating and turns people off. Or... We go out all guns blazing and tell everyone everything we've ever done all at once. Which also puts people off. So the big question is, why are we told that we should stay quiet and humble when it harms rather than helps? And how can we share our authority and experience in a way that brings people to us? Well, that's what my guest Lisa Bragg is here to answer for us. Lisa has literally written the book on how to talk about success. Her book, Bragging Rights, How to Talk About Your Work Using Purposeful Self-Promotion, launched this year. And in addition to being an author, she's a speaker, advisor, professional mentor and founder of Media Face, a Toronto-based content and consulting firm. And on top of that, She was also a TV reporter and anchor for 15 years. My hope for this show is that it helps you to step out of the shadows and share all the excellent stuff that you are up to. Okay, without further ado, let's start the interview. Welcome to the Speaking Club, Lisa Bragg. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to everyone. As am I. Now, I was introduced to you by uh, a lady called Deb Mashek, who's been on the show, talks all about collaboration. She said, you've got to speak to Lisa. She's got a new book out called Bragging Rights, 
And so I thought, right, I'll have a look at that. And and here we are. And so the first question I wanted to ask you, because I've I've read, uh, not quite read all of it, but read a lot of the book. What was the catalyst for you to embrace bragging? And also, I'm curious, why had you avoided it before? Well, my last name is Bragg, B-R-A-G-G. So you can't... (laughs) You're kind of stuck with it. And I learned quickly about age 13, the age my daughter is now that, you know, when you talk about success, people will say, oh, you're going to brag about it. And that bragging is not, was not a good thing. It's a taboo thing to talk about your successes. Cause I was one of those card carrying members of the gold star club. I wanted those gold stars. I, you know, why didn't I get I got 99%. Why didn't I get a hundred, right? I wanted to get those marks. I wanted to succeed, put my hand up, be enthusiastic the whole bit. And I learned young that people didn't like that, that, you know, talking about your successes, being on the honor roll, getting a plaque, an award, whatever it is, they didn't, they didn't always appreciate it. So I started to hide it. And then I went to broadcast journalism though. (laughs) But back in my day for journalism, the stories were never about me. It was always about the audience and the people I was interviewing, but always found that people were, even though they were the experts, they would often not want to be on camera. And, you know, it was because they felt that they weren't ready yet. They didn't want to brag about their successes and claim their, that they were the leader expert or visionary when they truly were those levels. And so then I'd end up meeting and interviewing people that were the mediocre people. And so when I had a chance to really coach people or talk to them and say, put your story on and they did it, I'd see them do great things. So I learned really young that bragging was a thing. And then even in my early career that uh, people had a hard time with sharing and showing their success. And even when it would be that their knowledge would improve the world. Yeah. I think I had that label when I was a youngster of show off. Yes. And I I remember like actually sort of throughout my life uh, and being measured and measuring myself and saying, well, I'm, I'm less of a show off than I was when I was younger. And that was almost to me was a bit of an accolade, but I actually think, you know, well, I mean, this is the whole point that we're talking because I think it's wrong. And I think, you know, you go into the opposite which is what, you know, modesty and underplaying and undervaluing. And I think, you know, you make the point and and I think quote Maya Angelou, I think as well, that modesty is a negative habit. Can you elaborate on that for us? You know, so many of us, and it's again, I think it's Maya Angelou really brought it forward. We are here based on the shoulders of giants. Like other people have done the hard work for a lot of us. And so it's up to us to continue that hard work. But when we constantly, well, go into modesty is along with self-deprecation, put yourself down and it's, oh, you know, look at me. Oh, I was lucky. You know, we'll say we were lucky instead of saying we did the hard work and we've had success from it, or we'll put ourselves down on purpose diminish our power, diminish our strengths so that we don't seem as strong as we are or show off or whatever it is. And that we are feigning modesty that, oh no, it's not me. Or I'm, I'm so humbled, you know, that whenever, (laughs) right, right away, here's a faux pas. Don't put on LinkedIn or any social media that you are humbled because it dismisses the strength of whatever it is that you've achieved or that the judges have awarded you whatever it is. So being humbled and always lowering ourselves. So many of us are already at that lower point and we need to actually say, no, I am this, I am strong. I am successful here is my knowledge and I want to share it and serve other people because that's really what it's about is 
when you are too modest, people don't, they'll believe your modesty. Oh, it's nothing. And it's not me. And so we need to make sure we stand in it so they can say, yes, it is that person. It's Deb. It's it's Sarah. It's Sharon. It's Michael, whatever it is. And they are standing in their strengths. And I know to go to them and, and use them and, and help them flourish. So that's really why. Yeah. Humility, humble, modesty. Those words just really get me going. <laughs> There's so few of us that really need to sit in massive amount of humility all the time. It's uh, there's a few people in the world that need it, but the rest of us actually need to stand in our power even more. Um, and I think, th- you know, there's a good segue. You just mentioned there's, there's a few people who need to, <laughs> who need to maybe just tone it down. But I think, I think we could probably name those people there. There's been one in England who's been in power and one overseas that's been in power. And I think you make the case in the book, and I've certainly seen this, that there are double standards at play in society when it comes to bragging. And this is, I loved this uh, phrase, the range of acceptable behavior. And I shook my head and I can speak about, because I'm in the UK, and as you, as you know, in comedy, if you if you are it, you can speak about it. So we had a leader in the UK whose behaviour, by any standard, was was not you know was not acceptable. But they were a male, and I'm not sure that a woman doing the same thing. And we've seen other international women leaders doing much less and being sort of vilified it wouldn't be acceptable. And I wondered if you could share more about this in the context of your work as well. Yeah, it's it's such a challenge for women. And that's, I conducted international research on it to find out a little bit more because I'm in Canada. So I thought it was a Canadian thing where we wanted to, you know, make sure that you put your head down, do good work, and eventually someone will notice you and don't get out of line and, and all those kind of things. So we wanted to, you know, don't ruffle feathers, just be average. Like there's a lot of that kind of, maybe people aren't saying it overtly, but they are. But what I found in the research is that some people really do get a pass on bragging and self-promotion and that they're told to, they're promoted to. And so often we find when we're young, in conditioning of our children, we do say things to boys that really allow them to be much more individual, where girls are also much more collective. And it's always be nice to girls where boys are like, go out there and win and talk about your wins and celebrate the wins. And unfortunately, this summer, I had somebody report back to me that they wanted me to write something for for the junior ages, for younger people and for the people that coach them, because they were hearing that some of the language when the girls were winning and really being self-congratulatory, they were excited about it. They were told to be better team players where the mother observed who's a supreme, who's an ultra athlete too. She observed that the boys were not conditioned to play smaller about their win. And she was watching it because she had just read my book. And so we're conditioning kids younger to, to play this way, to make sure that girls are all about the team and then boys are about the individual, which is interesting. I thought we were a little bit past that, but it's still around for the 13 to 15 year old set now. So how does that relate to what you're saying? So really we start conditioning people young to, to, Um, say yes to behaviors and say no to behaviors, sometimes based on gender. It's also based a lot on socioeconomic class. That's something I found interesting that if you are of a lower social uh, economic class, you are more likely to keep in line and not want to ruffle feathers or do anything that makes you stand out too far. 
because we're still caught a lot in the factory era, even though we are now in the third or fourth industrial revolution, the imagination era, as we might want to say, who knows what era we're really in and what's <laughs> happening, but, uh, but we're caught with all these factory norms, but the people who get a pass are politicians, actors, sports celebrities. We see that a lot and, you know, cowboys, <laughs> but researching through the U S it's really about how much they can boast. And so we, we hear these things we also hear a lot of that, um, you know, the self-aggrandizement, which is that I'm better than you and putting people down. And I think that's where we cross from bragging to self-aggrandizement with a lot of politicians and a lot, some of the CEOs out in the world where bragging means talking about your success with pride. And then I also remind us all that pride also means self-love. So pride is not always a bad thing. So bragging means to talk about one's success with pride, which means self-love. But self-aggrandizement, which is that, you know, $5 word, as we used to say in my journalism career, it's multisyllabic. It's one of those words we don't want to remember, but that's that, oh, I'm better than you, that I'm putting you down kind of thing. And that only one person can win. That's what we feel sometimes with those social media influencers that feel, make us feel kind of icky that they're getting off their, their private jet when we know they didn't actually get a private jet. We already know. So, so that's kind of where it is, but some people do get a pass and it, I can get into context a little bit more if that's where you want to go, because a lot of it is context-based. Mm, absolutely. And what well, is interesting because I think those two bragging, which has historically positive connotations associated with it and self-aggrandizement, which isn't which is like stepping on people and all sorts of other things i've heard the term braggadocious in relation to one particular person it comes up often um and i think that's confused and conflated those two different things and i think people now are thinking bragging is is in that vein and it's not and that's what we want to sort of reframe bragging as something positive and you know, what? I have to think I'm going to actually spend a second and look up braggadocious because I think it was not even taken. It was taken. We talked about it with my editors and I think it's not even a, um, in the words, okay, it's informal. And that's where we didn't put it in. It's an informal us, uh, variant of the word. And it sounds, it sounds braggadocious, but I don't even think I dropped a pass in the game. So it's boastful or arrogant. And that's the arrogance part that I think we all get that ickiness. And in my research, again, which was worldwide research, people did feel that bragging was icky because when we haven't identified really what it means and how the context of what, how to use bragging and self-promotion. And so when we hear, you know, these people with that self-aggrandizement, that puffery, that's where we feel icky, but we don't have that depth of language to really say what it is. And so when we feel somebody's talking about their successes, we're like, uh, or when we are, it's actually when we are talking about our successes, because in the research, it was 85% of people actually want to hear you talk about your success. They want to hear you brag 85% of people. And so you're wondering where the other percentages are, because we're all about how come we didn't get hundred percent on our, on our essays or exams. And it was uh 12% of people said they would ignore you. And 3% of people said they would turn around and brag about themselves. I think that was the math. So they would turn and brag about themselves. So really people are wanting to cheer you on and hear you brag. And because what you think is bragging, other people think is just storytelling. 
as long as it's within context and context is, you know, my family love them to, to bits, but they don't understand me at all. So I don't talk about a lot of my successes and where I've, what I'm doing with them because they don't understand. And they also see me in the light of, you know, 13 year old Lisa. And so they don't see me now as the adult who is of service. And I need to talk about all of my wins so that people know how I'm here to serve. They don't get that. And so other people, maybe from, you know, school, they don't really get it either. But as you go out and talk to people who you want to be successful with, they need to hear that you are their peers or that you are a little bit ahead of them and you can show them the way or lead them or be that expert that they can count on to, to have that knowledge ready and have an opinion or that visionary that can see around corners. And so we need to send those signals out to people, but it's very much Mm context-based. And if we're not putting out the signals in the right context, that's where it feels, that's where a lot, you know, politicians can do it. And they, they're often, you know, one politician we can think of uh, in the U.S., you know, his, his, being boastful and well, we can go back to the word as braggadocious, but is it the context that he's talking to the people of the nation or of the world, or is he talking to other world leaders? Mm-hmm. And so when we think about it as if you need to, if you're a CEO to maybe take it down a bit before anyone wants to get political, cause I don't, but <laughs> um, if we think about it in context, you know, a CEO, she wants to make sure that companies know that she is the best product. She has the best products and services so that they will invest in her, that shareholders will invest more money and that overseas partners will see that she is that giant that maybe they need to consider purchasing or allowing their companies to be purchased. So they need to signal in context to the other people. And she might not be signaling to her employees, okay, here's all our margins, here's all the great things that are happening. She might be signaling to someone, one person in another country. And that's where her employees might feel a little bit misaligned to some of the messaging because the messaging isn't for them. The context is for someone else in another place that may be the competitor. So long-winded explanation of how important context is to when you're considering what you're going to say, especially on a bigger scale uh, as leaders. Yeah, I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind, the context. The other thing, before we move on, I think this is something that I often say to people who come into my world and want to become a speaker and want to stand out in front of the audience to stick their head above the parapet. And one of the things that I say is there is nothing that I can teach you about speaking, uh, performance, storytelling, anything like that, that is going to stop people judging you. They are always going to judge you. It's human nature. But when people are judging you for something that you're putting out there, it's often because you're doing something that they want to do and it's their baggage, not yours. And I think that's a really important thing. I think there is a bit of conditioning with women. We, we are worse sometimes than men in terms of you know, pulling other women down as well. But I think it does come from, you know, I, I'm playing small because that's what I've been told to do. And I'm actually really wanting to do what you're doing, you know, and so therefore I'm going to try and pull you down. Does that feel you know, uh, true to you as well in terms of what you've witnessed or experienced? Oh, Sarah, can we just talk about that for hours? Anyone else <laughs> listen, want to listen to that for hours? Because we are trained to play small. We And we also, 
we, we feel that inside of ourselves and we do start to judge other people. And that's what my friend, well, it's internationally called tall poppy. And my friend, Dr. Rumi Billen has done research in it. And we are the people that cut other people down. Oh, look at her. She's thinks she's so much. And I'm going to cut her down and say negative things about her and undermine her successes. And we do that because it's about ourselves. When yeah. you feel jealousy or judgy about someone else, you need to take a moment, <laughs> take a breath. And think about why you feel that way. And it has nothing to do with her. And so when you are talking about your successes, let's flip it the other way. If they receive it in a negative way, that's on them. That's not on you. So when you say it, just know that you're not, you know, as long as you're not, I'm better than you or putting someone down that it's okay. It's on them. And they have some lessons to learn, but a lot of it is you are doing what I wanted to do. And why haven't I done that? And there's that jealousy. So I think we could talk about that for hours and hours because we do play small and I am my book. I have to come back to it again and again from not playing small because it is a cultural conditioning that I have had of like, just, you know, wait till you're chosen. If you were that good, your work would speak for itself. Like I feel that and authors get a pass. Like authors are allowed to come on shows and talk about how great their book is. It's an Amazon bestseller, all that stuff. But I still feel it because the conditioning and that, am I too much? Am I too little? All of those things come into mind, but I know the work that I have is of service. And so when we reframe bragging and self-promotion to it's telling the world how I am of service that allows us to then start to move forward and not allow that conditioning of playing small to keep us as hidden gems. Cause that's the last thing I want for all of us is to be hidden gems. And, you know, if you're a leader and you're, you have teams watch for the people that are hidden gems. Cause that invisibility cloak becomes very heavy after a while it very very heavy mm-hmm. absolutely and I think I mean there's one more point that I want to make here before we move on which is again something that I I share is that if only the people who are you know in that sort of braggadocious space boastful people are promoting themselves and you have something that can change someone's life but you're not promoting yourself or getting the message out there, then in some ways, I think you're being selfish because you have a duty to put yourself out there to offer that opportunity to change someone's life. So I think, you know, I think that's a really important thing that I share that, you know, it's not about you in some senses. It's about getting that message out there as well to change people's lives, to change organizations to change the world even. So that's something else that I feel is important to say to people in this area. Can I just give you a hundred gold stars and a massive (laughs) clap? That's exactly it. It's of being of service and Mm -hmm. letting people know because we're also, because we're in the knowledge economy now, we can't keep things in our heads. We can't wait for other people to notice us on our tiny piece of the internet. We have to let them know. And it is your duty to let them know. As you said, it is our duty to let other people know about our successes, about who we are, so that we are able to serve them. It's a disservice to other people when they are served by mediocre people because you're waiting for someone else to notice you. And so that's where we have to have those steps of courage to get ourselves out there over and over and over again. And especially when we don't think anyone's listening, that's okay. Someone's watching from afar. Just keep going and putting your good work out there and letting people know that you are a success. 
Absolutely. I love that. Well, well put. Brilliant. Okay. Um, one of the mistakes uh, that you observe in the book is that people tend to market themselves for where they've been, not where they're going to. And I wondered if you could expand upon that, because I think this is a really important point. I mean, it plays into everything that we're talking about, but I think this is a, an important point to make as a separate one. Yeah. So many of us just go rely on our reputations, all the things we've done in the past. And do we have enough credibility? We often want to, I'm sure when you hear speakers that aren't with you, they'll list off all their credibility off the top because they want to say, okay, here's my credibility. Yeah. Then you know that I'm going to be worthy of you listening to the next 15, two hours, whatever it is. But meanwhile, you know, the organization has already given you the credibility to give you the stage. So, so many of us, we look to the past, we want to stack our reputations. Here's all the things I've done. Here's my credibility. Instead of saying, well, here's where I want to go. So when we market to where we want to go, it's interesting because all the past will align when you start to market to where you want to go. So when you say, here's where I want to go, you can look back and say that there's a red thread that does lead you to the path that you want to go. I'm not sure if you want to be all of a sudden a rocket scientist when you haven't done any science or anything in the past in that vein, but maybe you want to be, you know, in accounting in a rocket scientist and there's some path that will lead you there, but we market to where we want to go. It allows our brains to start to see things in the future that, wouldn't have necessarily been there if we were only solely worried about and concerned about our reputations. Anyone listening to this podcast, your reputation is solid. And so let's not worry about that. It's also where so many of us, we think we need to have 120% before we go for a new job, where actually so many other people are going on the promise of their future selves. So instead of having, they might go when they have 40% of the qualifications desired and, or even needed, forget about desired, needed, demanded, they'll go on 40%. Well, the rest of us will make sure that we have every single bullet point qualified and then, and then an extra 10% on, on top of that. And so leaving that mindset of, well, have I done that in the past behind and saying, you know what? I think I can do that. There's a promise of me. There's the betting on me. There's that. I know I can allowing that to happen instead of just worrying about your reputation will allow you to have so many more opportunities that you already desire and that you already deserve. I love that. And I think there's a reference to a lady called Dory Clark in the book yeah. and uh, this concept of the halo effect. And I think that this is kind of what you're talking about. And perhaps you can just quickly elaborate on that so people can, can get that in this context. Yeah. So Dory Clark is a international author of several books and she's just, so she talks about being a recognized expert. So very much in, in vain with my work. So just love what she puts out there, but she's an author who talks about becoming an expert. And then she's also somebody who's writing musicals. I think she's doing the scores or maybe it's the, the lyrics to it. So she's doing, she's working in musical theater and not where you'd think they don't, you'd think those paths really don't cross and they don't, but she's allowed to go into this area of musical theater because people already have seen that she's had success in another area and they're like okay she's successful there 
therefore she should probably be successful here. There's some sort of magic to that where, you know, we see it again with politicians where actors become politicians. Well, they've been successful there. So our minds are going to say they should be, we extrapolate that far to say, well, they will be successful there. And Dory Clark is successful in it, but she knows and acknowledges that she has a halo effect around her of success where people have seen that. And so they give her more liberties to try something new that really she, you know, may, I don't know Dory that well, but maybe she doesn't have a business doing that, that someone else maybe has spent a long time building up their tools in that area. But because she already has success in one area, people can see it. They then allow it to come to another area. So, but Dory Clark is brilliant. I do highly recommend her, but you can see how, you know, you can jump from, to another field entirely and have that goodwill brought with you when you've shared your success along the way. So it does actually then go into other fields. It's, it's yeah. interesting to see that. And even publications, things that you've never even thought of working for, it allows you to say, well, she's successful there. She will be successful. Success against success. Yeah, that's what you're saying is that effectively is that you can leverage, you know, you don't have to justify the, you know, the past, that you've achieved the past, but how can you leverage that? For the future and I think that's what you're saying is that we don't you know we're waiting for someone to be a Dory Clark before we do that but we can do that today based on what we've already achieved you know that we can you know move into the future I think that's exactly what you're saying and I love that you can just really synthesize what I just said and really bring it right <laughs> down because that's what it is how do we leverage the success we've had over here to then have new successes in an area. And you know what, that allows us to be more nimble in these economic times where we don't really know what's happening. It allows us to then say, we have social currency that we can take anywhere, no matter. And if we're jumping from being in corporate, now we're going to be an entrepreneur. You know what? I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to work in an NGO. I'm, you know, now I'm going to go and work for. So it allows us to have that flexibility too, when you have that leverage, that social currency, that is your, you know, your backpack that you can take anywhere. And so that's really what it's about. And then allows you an extra little bit of shine if you are going to somewhere different. So I think that's the main thing. Leverage it. You've already done the hard work. The book isn't about here's how you can become awesome because you are already awesome. You've already done the hard work. Now we need to let people know about it so that it will help you leverage, have that social currency, go further, farther, faster, and go together. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Now I wanted to touch on this because I love this story. And this is kind of like, again, some of the things that we've been talking about and this you do something in the book, which is something that I coach my speakers to do, um, which I loved, which was break down some of the myths, the things that can get in the way of you doing this that are in your head. And one story that stuck with me was the story about Marie and Sean. And I wondered if you could sort of share that myth and that story here, because I think this is really powerful, especially in the context of some of the things we've been talking about yeah, this is that, uh, you know, it's be a good girl, wait your turn, follow the old rules. And I'm not about, you know, I am about, I still believe in us as teams and collectivism, but I also believe that we have to be individuals. And it's interesting the time we live in that the rules have changed. So in the story, Marie was, you know, had been in the insurance industry for a long time and followed the rules of engagement. And she was also one of the first women there. So she's, she's older and, but she was following the rules that she was told, just wait your turn. Eventually you'll win this most prestigious award. And so she was doing all the right things, 
putting the effort in, paying her dues and, you know, just following what everyone else had done in the past and was told, just, just wait your turn. Well, in this disruptive time that we live in, this guy, Sean, who is quite a character came along and he swept up the award. And she, you know, Marie was shocked at that because she had been doing all the things, but they wanted his disruption of the time. And so he came in and got this most prestigious award award with very little uh, time in the business. And, you know, as an aside, I don't think this is in the book, but he, his employees aren't happy. Like I know all this background stuff to his life and it's just like, oh my goodness, how did he win? But he was out there marketing himself, telling people that he wanted to win the award, wasn't waiting to be chosen. He was advocating for it. And so, you know, when he, he, there's a picture of him picking up the award in the flip-flops. I hope I haven't given too much information away that somebody's going to go online and start looking for this kind of image. But, you know, he didn't have the track record. He didn't have the experience, but he was that new shiny thing that came along that, that red dot way in the distance and, you know, took the award that really was what Marie thought was hers. But the thing is though, he was really intent on it, you know, was marketing himself, getting himself in all the magazines that were influential in the industry and was obviously the obvious choice in the end, which was breaking all the old rules of just wait and you will be chosen. So just, we have to watch that. We're not just waiting. So Sean went to pick up his, his award in flip-flops when it was a gala kind of thing. So like, just to think about the juxtaposition of time of how we play the game. And then you just can't wait your turn on things. You have to be the one advocating. And I just had somebody pull me aside after I was doing a speaking uh, opportunity in a, in a firm. And she said, well, I've been told to just wait my turn, but we have to use the magic question. When someone says, wait your turn, we have to know what will it take? And that's the magic question. I forget who made it up, but it was, I think it was a Yale professor who has really made it Zoe chance who has made it part of her book, but it's really about what will it take? So if we're told, wait, will our turn? No, I need to know what will it take for me to win that award? What will it take for me to get that promotion? Because we need it really solid than these kind of wait your turn. It's just so open and nebulous. Nothing nebulous. It just doesn't give us anything. We need it grounded. And it's just like, wait your turn for your promotion. That's not anything I can work on. And as a leader, that's frustrating for your employee to hear, wait your turn, because there's nothing grounded and concrete that we can do. You know, it's like, just be lucky waiting your turn. And it's like, we have to be able to scaffold luck to get ahead. And so that's where she felt so entitled Marie about it. And, uh, you know, she's working on other things, but it was just like that, that just one of those stories that just burns you can't comes out of nowhere and gets the award, but that's the era that we live in, that the rules are so disrupted and that we need to make sure that we are in line and that we are going to get the next award, that there is no doubt it comes into the whole thing of be so good. They can't ignore you. Right. That's another Steve Martin quote that I use in the book. Well, she was that good and they still were ignoring her and she would eventually win because they'd run out of people until these new people come out and say, I'm not waiting, you know, 30 years in the industry. I want it now because they know awards show success and prestige and it's important to get awards and to be seen receiving awards and bestowing awards too and nominating for awards. Those are all things to do. It was heartbreaking. I was like, oh, poor cow. Like, yeah. and I was just like angry as well. I was like, no, but this we play, you know, the rules are there, 
but question whether they're hard and fast like yeah that really sort of resonated with me um yeah poor thing anyway I hope she gets it at some point and start up her own award that's the other thing <laughs> that's the other thing nowadays and you can you have the power to start up your own award or go for an award that's totally like out there because so many people they just get nominated for awards and here's a news flash a lot of people nominate themselves for awards and that is excellent to do because everyone else is so busy doing their own thing putting out their own fires looking for their awards that they don't have time. So realize that a lot of people and they'll feign, oh, thank you for the nomination. And, and that's okay. But it's really that they've already put themselves out there. I nominated myself for the award. We don't see that, but people do. They do it over and over again because otherwise they will never win. And nobody knows that they want to win or nobody knows they exist. So that's where you have to put your name forward. And more and more awards are saying, nominate yourself nominate yourself so I think that's a good thing we need to put ourselves out there I love that I love that smashing okay conscious of time here let me see so much that I could uh, talk to you about it's really fascinating subject I wondered if you could share the three biggest mistakes you see people make around bragging self-promotion if you like Yeah. So again, bragging is talking about our successes with pride and pride also means self-love and then self-promotion is those are the tactics that we put out into the world. So those are the things that we have our success from our brag. So what is that thing we want to put out there? And then our self-promotion are the vehicles that take it out in the world. And so, you know, that could be a phone call. It could be uh, signing up on your company's interwebs, like, you know, for your profile, it could be going to association meetings and actually following up with the people that you meet. And it can also be social media. So I think one of the biggest things is people think that they have to have a huge social media following to do anything. And I think that's a huge mistake. You don't have to do social media at all. Don't think that that's not this book, especially is not about, I think it mentions LinkedIn once, but it's not about social media. There's so many other ways. So first of all, not realizing realizing that it's not about social media and you don't have to become a brand manager every day. Uh, I think it's just realizing that you want to narrow cast instead of broadcast. And what that means is, yes, I would love audience of millions of people that are doing and engaged with what I say and do and buy my book and buy whatever and think about me and, and love what I'm putting out there. But actually it could be an audience of one because that one person can really make a difference in my world. And that's where back to the context setting, You know, that CEO might be signaling to that one leader of that company in France or in, in Germany that she, or in Canada, that she wants to do business and not to the, you know, hundreds, hundreds of thousands employees employed with her. And so where's the context of it? So broadcasting is great, but it's really when you're starting out too, it's about narrow casting. Who is that one person that I really need to speak to? Who is my audience? So with that, who is my audience? So narrow casting and along that as part B of the answer, who is my audience? We think we need to speak to everyone, but we need to just think of that one or two different groups of people that we want to speak to, to have our message land. Um, another thing, I think there's lots of tips right in that one, but, uh, uh, was there another one that, that really, there's so many things in the book, in the book, I have like thinking exercises to do exercises and to share exercises that really help you to activate it so that you're not just inspired by these stories, but, uh, and also, or, or, or shocked at some of the stories of how people haven't, you know, moved ahead because they didn't brag or self-promote, but there's also tips for you to start moving with it. 
I think it's really that waiting for other people is a big mistake. And we've talked about that Mm -hmm. waiting for your leader, waiting for someone else to notice you is one of the biggest mistakes. They are not going to do that. They are so busy doing their own thing that they, they aren't going Mm -hmm. to do it. And that people leave, people leave employment. They get a new job somewhere else. Someone comes along and then they have the, you know, garden leave time or like the time that they have between that. They just don't have that opportunity to bring you along and probably not allowed to bring you along. So what does that look like for you when you've gone ahead and made sure you've bolstered someone else's career without tending to your own? So we need to make sure that we take care of ourselves. One more thing is that, cause that goes along with it is there's there is no I in team, but there is I in credit. So I think this is a big one for people is to make sure that you claim credit. And so many of us are team players and we need to be team players. We need to fit in, but we also need to stand out. And so we need to let people know what we've done along the way on projects because credit goes where credit knows and credit flows. And so I use the example you know, if Joe was the team leader in the past and the project was a great success, but then Joe is off on pat leave for the next project, but comes back in on the last day, they will see him as the team leader and give him all the credit again, even though we've done all the work. So we need to let people know our contributions. And that's the way to say it. My contribution is, and that doesn't mean that's not like I did all the work and Joe did nothing, but my contribution is, and I've left moments along the way, those breadcrumbs along the way to let people know that I did contribute to the project and that credit should be partly mine too. And that's, you know, if we look to academia and science, it's making sure that our name is on that paper. Don't say it's okay. It's not on there this time. Our name needs to be on that paper. That's really interesting. And I'm just tapping into, I used to be a HR director in the, when I was in the corporate world. And one of the things that just occurred to me is that when when we're being interviewed and certainly when I was interviewing and you ask those those questions about you know give me an example when and people will say oh we did this and we encourage people in an interview to say you know when you when you're preparing say I because we need to make sure that you you know you're saying what you did in that thing but we tend once we've got the job potentially to lose that and not to carry on saying I. And I think if you if you think of it in this context, if you if you have to get the, if you get the job in the first place by saying I, and you want to get promotion, then you've got to continue saying I when it's when it's relevant and appropriate to do so, or even when it's not. In Marie's case, breaking the rules. But I think <laughs> that's something that just occurred to me from what you said. That's absolutely it because we give it away. We give it away, and that's where as leaders again, our team members leave because. When is the time we are absolutely allowed to brag and self-promote? The whole world tells us when we have to go out and get a new job, right? So that's, and people leave because they feel that they can't talk about their successes within the corporation, within the organization. So then they leave. But if you allow a culture, and I I talk about it in chapter 13 of helping leaders to really set a culture of bragging and self-promotion so that it's not a free for all of people all of a sudden becoming, you know, the self-aggrandizers and those icky people, but uh, that we can set up an environment where people can share their successes because people want, it's one of the things people want to be seen and heard within their organization. It's foundational to all humans to want to be seen and heard. And so when we're not seen and heard, we have that invisibility cloak within our organizations. Well, I have to leave for people to be able to see Mm -hmm. me. 
And so that's where they start putting together their CVs, their resumes to go out and get new jobs. And that's where then the new employer will say, what a gold star employee, what an A plus leaving this organization who didn't see all the things that she had to offer. And so we need to make sure we've set a culture that allows people to talk about their successes, because when you can hear successes too, then we also can say, okay, well, that's not what I think success is. And we can then change our path. So if you have your team reporting on, this is what I think is successful. And then you're like, well, that doesn't actually align with my agenda. Then you can help them be successful in a different way, especially if you are still stuck with doing only annual reviews, because some companies are just too busy. But if you're only doing annual reviews, when are you checking in at a, you know, less time to make sure that people are on track with the projects that you value and that they value. So we don't lose those halo level employees, those rock stars, those gold stars that uh, will easily go to someone else when they're not seen and heard. I love that. And I think, you know, just any leader out there that doesn't do this, you know, get, get Lisa in to help you is when you don't create a culture where people can step forward and there's a whole DEI aspect to this as well then what you create is a culture where people will be strategic and political and then it creates bitterness and animosity and people not working together and then people leaving and so I think you know beyond you know not losing talent there's a whole engagement piece uh, DEI piece to this that people really need to look into so I think the impact is much broader than than you know and I'm sure you make the point in the book I haven't got to that chapter yet but there's a huge opportunity here for leaders to to get this right and you know the benefits are going to be huge so brilliant thank you for bringing that up thank you it's belonging right yeah it's belonging absolutely yeah absolutely cool um thank you there's so much gold in what you've shared and in the book as well and I urge you to go and get it and we'll talk about where you can go and get it in a little bit now this is the speaking club Lisa where does speaking fit into the picture for you with the book and going forward speaking is everything that's where I'm going with it. So I'm doing consulting and speaking. I love it. Somebody said, do you get a high off of speaking? And I said, no, I feel at home. Yeah. When I am out doing a keynote or a workshop facilitating something, I feel so at home. I feel at ease. I feel within myself. I just feel that it's like just where I'm so meant to be. So I love speaking. Uh, I do uh, keynotes where it's like big information out to people then I do workshops so we can action upon it and I just love it it's just really feels like I said it feels like home for me so it's part of a pivot though so I actually feel so I feel my imposter syndrome which I call imposter experience because I used to do it a lot I'm a, my background is broadcast news and so I was called on to all the time to do different things it's so funny because so many times I'd be asked to do auctioneering so I have to always watch am I speaking too fast when I'm especially speaking long for long things and extemporaneously too it's like am I auctioneering uh but so but I used to do it for work and then when I had my content company I would do it as part of gaining work experience, getting more opportunities for my work. So I would do it for free, but now I am a for fee speaker. So now I'm in that new realm of, I need to be paid. And, you know, especially with my book where it tops into so many things, 
people automatically think it's, it's for women. And they think that I should do it for free to give back to our communities. And it's like, that's lovely, but unfortunately I'm not in a position to speak for free. I speak for fee. So I'm learning all these new tactics and language and positioning as I grow in this new vein of my speaking career of going from speaking for a corporation then speaking for for work and now speaking as a uh, for fee so it's, it's interesting that way for me and it's uh it's a bit of a journey so last month was good but I have a lead and a lag thing that I have that I'm learning that uh how to see how to put seeds in earlier and the book does definitely help that people are calling me I have inbound but it's also how do I make sure that I have those strategic opportunities that I really want and the stage sizes too. So I love working in firms where it's, you know, 10, 30, 50 people. And I also love being on bigger stages. So, you know, I don't know if somebody would like you would say you need to narrow cast, <laughs> but, but that's where I am right now with it. No, I love that. I love that. And I, you know, I think you're right. There is a transition and there's definitely a place for free noting. And, you know, some keynote is still free note, depending on the opportunity and the context, it can, it can, it can be really beneficial, but yeah, I mean, you know, someone like you can make a big difference to a company in terms of what you're sharing about, and it could be a step change. So I think, you know, it's not for women only, there's a lot of, you know, we've mentioned women, but there's a lot of men who hide in the shadows waiting to be called and, and miss out as well. So it's, it's a message for, for any employee and any leader as well. I think this is the, both sides of it. That's the thing, the intersectionality from the research and that I talked to people in India, in uh, Australia, in the UK, in the US, in Canada, all over the world. I conducted interviews, Japan, just to really have the understanding of individualistic co collective societies and then people's individual experiences too. And as we are more global, how does a global citizen fit into all of this? And so it was fascinating. And that men really are a big part of this and the intersectionality goes deep. And that's why it's not just simply gendered that's too easy of an answer the intersectionality of what's really behind people and their thinking of how do they yes fit in stand out and add in to all of our conversations in the world of work absolutely and just one last thing on this because it because so I did a talk in Sweden once and in Sweden they have this thing called Jantelöven which oh. is about <laughs> you know we mustn't be the individual shouldn't be put in their head above the parapet so definitely if there's any organizations who in Sweden that are finding this a struggle get Lisa in to speak to your organization because uh, this is probably going to help but that was a big eye-opener to me that's collective and a cultural thing uh, in society over there that, and not just Sweden in, in a lot of the Nordic countries. So uh, really interesting stuff. Well, look, thank you for sharing all of that. I have some standard questions, which I always ask if you, if you're okay to answer those um, smashing the first one, we kind of touched on it, but the first question is what is speaking done for you? You know, it continually opens my mind and my heart and my soul. It just brings all these things together. It lights me up and it helps me to keep going on different things. So I just love sharing knowledge and then also receiving the knowledge as people ask me questions back and influence my thinking. So it's, it's really just one of my favorite, favorite things to do. And um, yeah, I think it's just one of those I'm called to do it. Nice. Excellent. And next question, have you ever had a gig or a speaking 
event or something where you're like, oh no, that was awful. I just want to put want to put that in the back of the memory and never access that ever again. Has that happened to you? You know what's so funny is because of my book and what I've written in my book, I'm allowed to mess up and allowed to say, oh my goodness, this is and actually bring out the shame or the guilt in the moment and actually unpack it for people live. So if I know that I'm rambling or I keep stumbling over my words, or I made a misstep or had a brain freeze and forgotten a story, I allow that imperfection to become part of the story of the day. And so I unpack it for people. And so many uh, employers, HR people love that because we're showing, we're modeling that's okay to not be perfect nowadays because we lose so much. We lose so much in productivity because people are worried about this love, this fake perfectionism. They, they will burn out because they're doing so much work to be perfect. And so I'll unpack that, but I do have times where it's like, I'll go back and I'm like, okay, did any of that, was that good? Yeah, yeah. But that's my broadcast journalism days too. So you have to just say, unfortunately in broadcast journalism, you are only as good as your last story. That's That was ingrained in us. But I allow myself to say, you know what? It wasn't 100%, but you know what? 75% is now good enough. And also my 100% is absolutely a hundred percent more than, than a lot of the next people. So that's where my standards of a hundred percent are just too high. And I've realized that about myself. So I'm now trying to model for the other perfectionists to not burn out by unpacking it a little bit and being that model. So (laughs) now I'm going to go back and say, what did I say in that podcast? I have to listen back to the podcast again. <laughs> well, that's all. You know, vulnerability is so important. You know, that's that's part of it. You know, you are living your message. Vulnerability is important to share. You know, and and people relate to that, and and it connects with people. So I, I love that. That's cool. Okay, next question. What's the book that's had most influence on your life, and why? Oh, you know, I am a massive to pick one book would be a disservice. I pick so many books. You know, I right now I'm reading uh, Ask Like an Auctioneer, which is a brand new book coming out by my friend Dia Bondi. And that's an awesome book. Um, I have Perfect Story, my other friend's book right here right now. That's a storytelling book. But one book, you know, yeah, this is there's an orphan story in Canada called uh, Anne of Green Gables and it's Lucy Maud Montgomery. And she's this young girl and she's all into her own mind and her own world. And she has a hard time with different pieces of her life and she overcomes it to be a, a success. And it's like this ultimate Canadiana story. And I love that story when I was a little girl. And I think it did influence me of saying overcome adversity you know, be that bright light, allow yourself to shine and help other people to shine. Cause I think that's what she really does in the end is she connects people in a way that she, nobody else could have. And in the end, they all love Anne. So Anne of Green Gables is one of my, you know, if you have a child and you want to read a book that, uh, you know, maybe it's a little outdated now, it's, it's quite an old book, but um, that book really did bring something. Thank you for asking that though. Cause I, I allow myself to dig deeper. And I think that was something that came out of that is that, uh, that childhood book, Anne of Green Gables, but I I'm a voracious reader. I read so many things and I appreciate, and I think I've taken a lot from a lot of people, you know, a lot of people's books along the way. I value Seth Godin's work. I'm mm-hmm. sure a lot of people who are listening to your show do listen to him and follow his work. He's, he's amazing and tremendous. And a lot of things that he says and the thinking he has. So yeah, I have a whole bookcase over there with <laughs> so many books that uh, I've cherished along the way. 
Well, I, I've I've heard of Anne of Green Gables, but I've never read it. So I will read that. And I think that's really, you know, that's who knows. She's probably started you on the journey to where you are today. So I think that's a really good choice. Perfect. And and just a note, Seth Godin has actually written a, a quote, a, te- a testimonial for, for Lisa's book as well. So it's on there. So big, big endorsement there. Next question. What's the best bit of business advice you've had and why? So recently I had somebody really give me a talking to, and it's about my rates and owning my value and realizing that I need to own my value, not just because of what I, my own worth, but also because of this, making sure that other people are also getting that rate. So I need to own my own value. And it was somebody just a few months ago or last month that really, she dressed me down about it and said, no, you need to be charging this because otherwise you undermine the rest of us. And that, that clicked with me and really resonated with me in a way that other people giving me pricing advice hadn't really connected and, and was really a fire in my, in my whole system. So that was a bit of advice is know your value and then make sure that you are where your peers are and that you are actively talking about value and worth and what it means to be paid for it and standing in it. And yes, sometimes you do free notes to make sure that people are the right audiences are seeing you, but you're doing it strategically, but that you are getting the money that you deserve. And you can do that. Somebody explained to me too. It doesn't have to be just, you know, a monetary value, but what is the whole unit value of doing something and that there's other opportunities to unpack if the right numbers aren't there. So I really learned from that. And it's something that uh, hadn't clicked quite before. So I think that was a big piece of advice. So it's your typical knowing your value, but it's the way that the person said it to me and she was quite terse about it. So I think that's <laughs> so connected to me too. You know, we all want like this kumbaya love and be nice to me. But when someone sits you down and gives you a dressing down about something, it's like, oh, wow, that was surprising. And I really value it. So, and, and I'm actioning on it all the time. That's really something. Yeah. Know your value. Excellent. I I think that's really important. And I love the way that they positioned that for you. That's great. Um, Last question then. If you could have one mentor, they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why? Uh, Seth Godin is the person I would I'd see. I think he's done so many things to put himself out in the world in a smart way. He's so generous with so much that he's given in his own ideas and thoughts. And I think he's got a nice business going. So I think that's a big thing too. He does it with kindness. But he also, if you are in any of sessions, he is direct with kindness. So he's direct, but kind in what he says. And I think there's something about that. And I think that his work has has life. It has a lifespan where you can go back to some of his things that he wrote 20 years ago and they still absolutely apply. So Seth Godin right at the top, because he is at the top of my book too. So (laughs) I think that's a big thing. But again, being a voracious reader, there's so many people that I know have made an influence on my life that uh, I value their work so, so deeply, but I think it would be Seth Godin having some real time. I did have some email exchanges with him and he did read the book because he corrected a few things in the book. So, you know, uh, and he gave me a few compliments that really, when you send out your book, when you do a first gig of something, you're sending it out in the world, you don't know. And so he was almost pretty much after my editor's like the third person to send it out to. It was like three, two, one, send. And so when he came back with some compliments, I was just like, okay, 
this is great. So there's, my, there's a little bit of my success story there with you, but it's, <laughs> it's just putting yourself out in the, there in the world and then good things will happen and you never know what those things are. But, uh, I appreciate so many of the leaders that have come before, because I know I am here based on the shoulders of giants. So, yeah, absolutely. That's that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. And I don't think I've had Seth Godin before. So yeah, new one. That's good. Well, listen, I thank you so much for sharing everything. Where is the best place for people to go to connect with you, to hire you to speak and to get the book? Yeah, please come to lisabragg.com. It's my website and it's Bragg with two Gs. And you can find on that site, you can find a few freebies and there's also links to all the places that you can buy the book. You can get it pretty much internationally. It's on all the big retailers available online so that you can get it uh, almost instantly nowadays. It's also an audiobook and an ebook. So those are instant, but uh, the print book is good too. And if you do get the audiobook, uh, make sure that you email me because I have um, a kit that goes along with it so that you can do the exercises on there without trying to write it all down. So that's something available to people too. So yeah, thank you. On social media, I'm Lisa Bragg or that Lisa Bragg. And I'm mostly heavily, I'm heavily on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Okay, cool. Well, thank you again. And is there anything else that you feel you need to say in order to call this interview complete? No, I appreciate you. I just want to say though, going right back to our very beginning to Deb and how Deb connected me that's an amazing thing. And that's what I want for all of you, where someone knows your value, someone knows your successes, and they're going to reach out to someone that you don't know. Cause I didn't know you, Sarah. And I thank you for your time, but she reached out to you and said, you need to bring Lisa on. And that's the beautiful thing. Cause I only met Deb for a short time at a conference and then she connected. And that's what, when we brag and we self-promote that other people will then meet you and say good things about you, connect you to more people. And then you build audiences that will hopefully then help your future. And then your information, your knowledge, your wisdom, your skills will then help their audiences. And so Deb, thank you, Sarah, thank you. And for all the audience listening, I appreciate your time too, but that's how it works is when we tell our stories, talk about our successes and put it out into the world, more people will then connect with you. I think that's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much for your time and best of luck with everything, the book and the speaking. I appreciate it. What did you think of that? Certainly puts a different spin on bragging, doesn't it? I know that I've fallen victim to the don't show off conditioning, but I think that it's also led me to be annoyingly humble when people have given me a compliment. And it's also meant that I play down my achievements, even to myself. Well, from here on in, that's going to change. I shall be proud and share in a gracious brag. Well, I hope you got value from what Lisa was sharing today. And if you did please let her know over on the socials. Do also go and grab her book, Bragging Rights, and get yourself set up for next year. Before we wrap up, don't you forget to go and grab your blank page to stage guide if you haven't already done so. People have loved the clarity it's given them on nailing their talk topic and for their general marketing too. The link is in the show notes to go and get that. Okie dokie. Thanks again for choosing to listen to The Speaking Club. And if you got value, I'd love it and be so grateful if you'd take a couple of minutes to leave an honest rating or review over at ratethispodcast.com slash TSC or whatever platform you're listening to the show on.
Amazon Music, Spotify, podcast apps, Apple Podcast, wherever. That would be fantastic. And I'll catch you next time. But until then, you know what I'm going to say. Don't forget to go out and grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. It's a nightmare. You're an expert with so much to say. But now that you've been booked to speak, you're struggling to know exactly what to talk about. You want a talk that engages the audience and wins you new clients without you losing your personality or anyone feeling pitched to. But what happens when you sit down to create that talk is that you end up staring at a blank page for ages or worse, surrounded by hundreds of sticky notes with content that you could include. With so much material, you just don't know where to start or finish. Don't worry, because many experts like you face exactly the same challenge. And that's why I created the Blank Page to Stage Guide. In just 50 minutes, this breakthrough resource is going to help you identify the big idea of your message, make it relatable for the audience that you're speaking to, and convey it all in a way that gets the audience inspired and on board with your idea. And it works even if you have tons of material or your subject feels less than exciting. If you want to cut through swathes of content and get a talk that you're excited to share, your audience loves and wins you new clients, then grab your blank page to stage guide from saraharcher.co.uk slash new guide hyphen TSC. Oh, I forgot to say, it's completely free. Enjoy. Enjoy.